0: The Cinemania Society presents Discovery by Patrick Ireland. Discovery was first published in the October 1988 issue of Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine and appears here with permission of the author. This story is of special significance to my father Patrick and me both. My father had written short fiction since at least the age of 10, but Discovery is the very first story my father had published. It also happens to be the first story he ever wrote expressly for me, having bashed it out on his word processor at some time when I was between 4th and 5th grade. I had become enamored with ancient Egypt, and I had begun to express hopes that I would grow up to become an archaeologist, inspired by my love of both cats and Indiana Jones movies. He wrote the story more or less as a joke for me, and maybe even a lesson. He would go on to write more stories, some for me and others for Ellery Queen, but discovery represents a powerful moment in my childhood, when I made a discovery of my own, that my relationship with my father was a two-way street, at least creatively speaking. It was around the time I graduated from high school when we got word that Discovery and another of my father's stories had been included in a compilation of Ellery Queen's 50 Best, quite an achievement when EQMM had been, at that point, in publication monthly for nearly 60 years. Sometime in the early 2000s, my father discovered, quite by accident, that Barnes & Noble booksellers had also selected Discovery to be published in a compilation entitled High Adventure, where his name appears beside such legendary authors as Arthur Conan Doyle, Jack London, Edgar Allan Poe, and Robert Louis Stevenson. The dust jacket art of High Adventure is even directly inspired by the events of the story. Not too bad for a throwaway story some guy in the Sierra Nevada scrawled to amuse his son. So without further ado, here is Discovery, by Patrick Ireland. It is performed for you by Phil Ryder. Caught
1: in the brilliant beam of Holloway's flashlight, the earthenware jar stood distinctly apart from the centuries-old litter of artifacts that crowded the stone shelf. The chamber smelled of ages past in underground solitude, the last eyes to behold this scene having been dust for two dozen centuries. Holloway transfixed by the full impact of this notion, stood breathless, simply staring at the jar. It was about fourteen inches tall, somewhat wider than that at the middle, giving it the shape of a giant onion, and beautifully enamelled with geometric patterns that drew the eye into it, like a whirlpool. The sheet lead seal was still intact. Fascinated by its beauty and antiquity, he extended a reverent hand to its curving surface. It was cool to the touch its glossy smoothness recalling to mind the brandy sniffer he'd held two weeks earlier as Sabeth had listened to his explanation of the need for money you know I do my best work alone dear he told her, besides Dr. Wilson insists that expeditionary funding be used only to develop proven sites with just a few thousand I can solo on this one but Eric, why didn't you show him the map? If it was enough to convince you, surely. He'd waved his meerschaum impatiently. If I'm ever to rise above associate professor, I need to earn credit for my own discoveries. As department head, Wilson could easily claim this find as his own. I've worked too hard to let that happen, Sabbath. That's why you've got to talk to your father, convince him to lend me the money. You won't agree to that, Eric, and you know it. He's never been very fond of you. She'd seen the anger surge into his eyes. I'm sorry, but it's true. But this would prove to him that I'm not the screwball he thinks. I'm certain this is a prime sight, and he'll share the glory. So will you. But she had just sat there, shaking her head, refusing to meet his eyes. Caressing the jar now, Holloway smiled. Now it would be different. Now they would all see the fool's Absently, he adjusted the wire-rimmed spectacles on his aquiline nose and placed the flashlight under his arm to allow both hands to encircle the base of the ancient jar. Careful as a surgeon with a beating heart in his hand, he lifted the jar from the shelf and cradled it. He realized he had been holding his breath and exhaled with satisfaction. The flashlight slipped from beneath his arm and clattered to the stone floor, winking out and leaving Holloway in total darkness. He heard the flashlight rolling down the slope away from him and suddenly his pulse was hammering in his ears. Despite the coolness, a trickle of sweat coursed down his spine. He struggled to compose himself. He absolutely could not afford to panic. Blinking and squinting, he strove desperately to detect some measure of light. It was useless. There could be no random light in this chamber deep beneath the surface of the desert. Cautiously, he sank to his knees and eased the jar to the floor. Backing away from it, he crawled along the sloping plain, blindly searching for the flashlight, praying it wasn't broken. The sounds of his progress seemed unnaturally loud in the inky blackness. He swept both hands in wide arcs along the gritty stone floor, stirring the dust of ages. Though near the edge of hysteria, his mind persisted in worrying about the damage he was doing to the knees of his trousers. His fumbling right hand brushed against something smooth, warm, tubular. The flashlight. He clutched it and flicked the switch back and forth. Damn. It was broken after all. He took several deep breaths, Striving to master the rising panic, willing himself to concentrate. Of course, he had a book of matches in his shirt pocket. With a sigh of relief he congratulated himself for having clung to the habit of pipe smoking, even though Sabbath despised it, and drew the matchbook from his pocket, opened it, and counted the matches. One, two, his breath caught. Two? Only two matches. What could he do? He had to think. He had to overcome the urge to light either of the precious matches until he could settle on a plan. Feverishly, he searched his other pockets. His notebook. The pages would burn, of course. But for how long? Surely not long enough to light his way back out of this death trap. Drawing back his shirt sleeve, he consulted the luminous face of his wristwatch and calculated. It had taken him just under four hours to work his way into this point, but that included wandering down many fruitless corridors, and he'd marked the twistings and turnings with a grease pencil, so the return trip would be much quicker. With adequate light, call it forty minutes. Without adequate light, he could forget it. Think, damn it, what else might be found that would burn, he could recall having seen nothing combustible as he worked his way in. The ancients had carved this catacomb into solid rock and indeed needed no shoring timbers. What artefacts he'd found were all pottery or carven stone. Forty minutes. The pages of his notebook wouldn't last five. He felt a crawling coldness and his thoughts drifted back to the moment when he'd realised that the money he'd needed for this expedition was right there under his nose in the form of a declaration of power of attorney. It had been stupid of him not to have seen it sooner. Grandmother was becoming more senile every day, well taken care of in the rest home, but dependent on him to conduct her business and pay her bills with the little income she had, social security, retirement annuity, and a bit of interest on savings. She'd assigned him power of attorney a couple of years earlier so that he could endorse her checks, and he had become so used to doing it that it hadn't occurred to him at first. Of course, he wouldn't touch the principal. After all, he only needed a few thousand. But how convenient that this dividend cheque had popped up just when he was at wit's end. The tether at grandmother's bank hadn't batted an eyelash when he'd presented the cheque, just counted out the 4,400 and change with a smile, and thanked him. Holloway had almost laughed at that. Almost. Anyway, he'd be repaying grandmother's account soon enough. With a bounce in his step, he'd left the bank and taken the subway to a travel agency. Plane ticket, first class of course, luggage, hotel reservations in Cairo, rental car, a few necessaries, and he was soon on his way to the realization of his ambition. Several boring hours into the flight, his enthusiasm had begun to pour as the gravity of his act penetrated his conscience. But he'd smothered his misgivings by reminding himself of the fame he was sure to win, and by the time he checked into the hotel, his resolve was firmer than ever. In the cool darkness beneath the desert floor, Holloway now was forced to reflect on his rashness in mounting a solo expedition with borrowed money. Borrowed? He sneered at himself. Why try to justify it now? The courts wouldn't call it borrowing, would they? The law would have no sympathy for a man who had embezzled from his aged grandmother, no matter how important a reason. Well, he needn't worry about the law now. He would suffer the consequences of his conceit right here, in this trap he'd unwillingly set for himself. Slowly, bitterness rising in his throat, he made his way back to the earthenware jar he'd left on the floor of the chamber. His smug disregard for convention and propriety had led him here, alone. And here, it seemed, he would remain, his body perhaps ultimately to be discovered by one of the colleagues he had intended to humiliate. He found the jar and caressed its smooth surface, wondering what might be inside. Though it hardly mattered now, he should at least open the seal and examine the contents, He owed it to himself to learn what he had made the ultimate sacrifice for. Opening his pocket knife, he sliced into the thin lead sheet, carefully working the blade around the circumference of the jar's mouth. He discarded the circle of lead and gingerly felt inside the vessel. What was this? It seemed to be a sheaf of—his fingers stiffened—papyrus—dozens of sheets of papyrus. The paper of the ancient Egyptians, so difficult to manufacture that it was used only to record the most important information. Any student of Egyptology knew that the majority of written words were carved in sandstone tablets. Here must be something of unique significance. Trembling now, Holloway ripped several pages from his notebook and crumpled them together, forming a small cone, which he ignited with one priceless match. The resulting yellow glare blinded him for a moment. Then, as his eyes adjusted to the dancing light of his makeshift torch, he eagerly pulled the ancient pages from the jar and scanned them. They were covered with orderly lines of beautiful hieroglyphs, rendered in various colours of ink. He strained to make sense of them. Translation could be difficult under the best of conditions, and his sense of urgency didn't help. The flames guttered, threatening to go out, and Holloway rapidly tore a few more pages from his notebook, feeding them carefully into the diminishing blaze. After a few minutes of eye-straining study, he realised these records bore evidence that would set the science of Egyptology on its ear. This amazing document was a trade agreement, the long-argued link between ancient Egypt and Atlantis far more than enough to validate his conclusions. It would make the finder immortal as a sphinx, or would have, were he not trapped here with it, far beneath the surface of the earth. He fed the last few pages of his notebook into the fire and tried to read further, only to find his eyesight blurred by tears of frustration. Moments later, his little fire was no more than a few glowing embers winking beneath a curling thread of acrid smoke. So, this was it then. All his lofty aspirations had led him to this ancient chamber where, with a monumental discovery in his hand, he must perish. Consumed with an agony of futility and grief, he wept. time, Holloway's senses returned. It dawned on him that papyrus must certainly burn, and of course one match remained. He shuffled numbly through the thick sheaf of ancient pages. Yes, if he were careful enough, and burned only one page at a time, there was probably enough fuel here to light his way to safety. But what awaited him back on the surface, with or without... His discovery. Holloway fingered the matchbook.
0: That was Discovery, written by Patrick Ireland and performed by Phil Ryder. It appears here with permission of the author. Sound design and editing by Ethan Ireland. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio incidental sound effects and music courtesy of Epidemic Sound. The Cinemania Society Presents is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC.